Hello, friend. You've stumbled upon the Season 1 archive for On The Bubble Podcast with me, Josh Liston. This episode you're listening to today was recorded sometime between mid-2015 and early 2019. And just so you know, Season 2 of the show is coming on Gen 8, 2020. The first episode will drop on Gen 8, 2020, Melbourne, Australia time. So that should be the day before if you're in North America. We're looking to make the show more fun, more energetic, a little bit less monotone for me, a bit more like this kind of vibe, and yeah, it should be pretty awesome. So thank you for checking out today's episode. I'm really proud of all the stuff we did on On The Bubble Podcast in the early days, which is kind of now wrapped up in season one, and pretty excited about where it's going for season two. So thanks once again, folks, on thebubblepodcast.com to get season two, to hear all of the episodes from season one, including this one today, if you want to share it with somebody or whatever. And I'll leave you with this crucial piece of life advice. So long, and thanks for all the fish. Hey folks, today's episode is something a little different. To start with, I actually recorded this in the front of a car, my car, holding a microphone, but that's kind of besides the point. With all the cancellations and 11th hour renewals that are going on at the moment, side note, congrats to fans of The Expanse on getting your season four. I thought it might be a good time to share what I guess could be seen as practical tips and ideas and even theories about what really works when trying to save your favorite TV show. So I was lucky enough to be asked on to a fantastic podcast called In Defense Of with Kia and Alyssa, two really, really sweet and wonderful people. They were a pleasure to talk to, even though I was hunched up in the front of my tiny little Corolla. I wasn't sure if I was giving them everything they needed, but I don't know if it turned out great naturally or whether... They did an amazing editing job or a little bit of both. But yeah, the audio you're about to hear, I haven't done anything to. This is how I heard the episode. And yeah, it's really fantastic. And we actually, throughout this episode, present almost a saving show survival guide of types. Things that you can do that actually really seem to move the needle with saving a show. Lastly, before we hop in, if you're a fan of the show Lucifer and you're not currently part of the Save Lucifer campaign... One of my very close friends, massive fan of Lucifer, even the not-so-fantastic first half of season three. So as a personal request from me, if you could go out and just give Lucifer a little bit of love on behalf of myself and one of my close friends, that would be awesome. Okay, thank you again to Kia and Alyssa from In Defense Of. You can find them in Defense Cast on Twitter and tell them what you think of the episode. Here we go. I'm John from Head in the Cloud, a proud member of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're listening to now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual host. Check out all the other podcasts at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1...
Welcome to episode 47 of In Defense Of. We're a cultural discussion podcast promoting the appreciation, support, and inclusion of all fandoms, interests, and hobbies in the pursuit of true community. Because if it's something you enjoy, IDO too. I'm Alyssa. And I'm Kier. This week, we're looking at the topic of television programs that are at risk of cancellation, or worse, ones that have already been announced to be ending, and how the fans of those shows may choose to handle it. So uh, joining us for the discussion in just a moment will be Josh Liston, uh, who is the host of numerous podcasts, but specifically uh, one that is new to our Gun Geek Network called On the Bubble, which regularly discusses those programs that are being sunset, however gracefully or rather abruptly. But before we get to that conversation, we're going to take a moment to enjoy a little bit of positive news from around the fandoms. And um, Kier didn't understand the homework assignment because when he came up with positive news from the fandoms, he brought up Avengers Affinity War. And excuse me, sir, but what at all is happy about this? It's not that the film itself is a happy film. And that's not that's not specifically why I wanted to to address it. It's the uh-huh. fact that it got everyone discussing it, and 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 specifically the way spoilers were being quelled by the community, by the people who saw it. I mean, granted, you're always going to have your outliers. You're always going to have people who are just you know, insensitive clods who decide to – I had a few in my you know, social media feeds. But on the whole, when Thanos demanded their silence, there was a lot of silence. People left it to just saying, you may not be prepared for this. And they left it at that. I mean, I, I don't know if we're still out of the uh, the the program is or the the film is still screening right now as we record this, so it's I, I don't really want to spoil anything, other than just saying that. I mean, it's a it's an emotional, um, uh, what, what's a good analogy? Uh, not an earthquake. It's not a meat grinder. Okay, meat grinder. Sure. <laughs> And even if you think you're prepared for it, I mean, this was me. I had a dozen people saying, just be careful. You know, go, when you get out of there, have some cartoons ready on your phone or something that you can watch. Or get, keep some puppies in the car that you can hug. Well, don't keep them in the car. But don't keep not your... keep puppies in the car. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Just poor, poor choice of words. But but go go do something lovely afterwards. But go see it. You know, they they were really strong about that. And, and that was about as far as it was really taken. So I I'm impressed by the viewer behavior and the fact that the magnitude of the film with all the buildup and everybody getting all excited about it and then it finally gets into people's hands and this wave of emotion rolls over everybody and everybody that that is has seen it and can can talk amongst themselves the conversation is buzzing about the reactions they're confused they're you know they're wrung out but they're discussing it and, and applying it to everything. It's just it's a huge topic of conversation right now. The water cooler is just bubbling. All right. Know. I'm not entirely sure that I buy it, but I'm going to let it go. I, You know what? You, you've, you've made your case and it's fairly strong. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, if, you, if there's something else that, you know, since the month back when we spoke, if there's something else that's just been, that just flew through the geekdom that you said, dang, that, that just makes me feel good about that. And you just want it to be, you know, super shiny positive, 
yeah, I, I'm sure that there are some things out there too. I mean, if there's one top of mind, feel free, throw it in. You, you, I, and- I don't, I don't really have one. The only thing <laughs> that I was going to bring to this was I enjoyed seeing Avengers: Infinity War and then bringing my friends who hadn't seen it yet and watching their reactions, which I don't think is positive <laughs> news. I think that's a, a you know, a, a little bit disturbing on my part. Of I, I enjoy watching my friends suffer, uh, but you know, we're just gonna we're just gonna slide right past that. <laughs> That's fair. That's absolutely fair. All right. Well, we will we will certainly have some other things occurring uh, over the weeks ahead that are going to give us a chance to to discuss some other uh, really interesting geek news. I know of a couple of things that are right on the horizon um, that are going to be a great point of conversation for that too. But as a community discussion podcast, your input as a listener is absolutely invaluable. So if you have something that you consider to be some good news from from the geek fandoms, something that either uh, you've personally been involved with or that you've heard other people really, really positive about, that, or if you just want to talk about some one of the topics that we've covered in, uh, tonight or recently, listen to the outro at the end of the cast. You'll have all the different ways on social media and electronic uh, devices uh, to, to reach out to us and other listeners like yourself. We never want to see a good tale come to an end, though we know that even the never-ending story had to roll credits at some point. We live in a time when sequels, prequels, and extended universe content is more the norm than the novelty, and with our television programming, countless networks and distribution sources, we expect hit programs to get a long, healthy run, and for creators and showrunners to be able to share their ideas in full to a logical and natural conclusion that leaves viewers satisfied. Life, however, runs on a very different set of production notes. Mm. Every viewer, every fan who has ever gotten invested in a television series likely knows the pain felt when word comes around that the host network has decided to cancel the show before it reaches uh, a narrative conclusion that they're happy with. In many cases, the, the dedication to the program is so strong that no conclusion exists where they would be happy. You know, they would prefer to see the actors suspended from aging and live out their roles forever. But the fact remains that executive decisions, and at times some extenuating circumstances, come about that halt a fan-loved series too soon. Sometimes they are given the remainder of the season to complete their narrative, and sometimes that axe falls faster. So what is a fan to do? So joining us for that discussion is Josh Liston of On The Bubble Podcast. So, Josh, one of the things that we wanted to do, uh, specifically because of the nature of the the podcast that uh, that you've just brought over to uh, here to to our shared uh, Gunna Geek Network, is uh, is sort of figure out where your fascination, or I should say, that your personal connection began with these programs that were on the bubble, as you refer to it. Yeah, that's probably a good place to start. It's not something that I had any familiarity with at all, really up until I saw a show called The Sarah Connor Chronicles. And I grew up as a massive Terminator fan. And to begin with, I didn't even want to watch the show mm-hmm. because I thought maybe it would follow the Terminator 3, etc., the okay. disgraceful movies. <laughs> and once I started watching the show, it felt to me very much like the most beautiful moments from the reimagined of Battlestar Galactica, but a whole mm. series of that. And... I know that's probably not a popular opinion, but that's how it felt to me. Okay. And I don't think I'd ever quite felt a connection to the artistry of a show quite like I did with Sarah Connor Chronicles. 
And I got to the end of season two, and if you haven't seen the show, I won't spoil it, but massive cliffhanger. And I thought, okay, I've got to leave the house. I didn't have the internet at home at that particular time. I went to an internet cafe, and I looked up when it was coming back for season three, and I found out it had been cancelled, which oh. was pretty disappointing. <laughs> but in all in my research of thinking, okay, is that true? <coughs> Pardon me. Sorry. I haven't really spoken today. <laughs> yeah. Is that true? Am I going to be able to find something positive about season three? I discovered a site called SaveTheSCC.com. And okay. from that, I discovered fan campaigns. And I thought, okay, because I grew up loving progressive rock bands and alternative bands. And I thought, well, I've never really had a chance to be involved in trying to save something that I really care about whether it's a band or anything else of that matter, these fan campaign things kind of allow fans to really feel like they're involved in keeping something going, which mm. is not really something you normally get to do. So I was a bit late to the campaign. Fox had already made whatever decisions they'd made, which is not unusual that it was a poor decision. And yeah, <laughs> I tried to get involved in the fan campaign, but I was just too late. So I decided years later that I would make a podcast to try and share those stories because I figured I'm not the only person who feels that way about their favourite show. Mm. Okay. So on balance, when you've been looking at these stories, how often do you think fans can succeed? How often do they fail? And what sort of makes the difference? Yeah, that's that's the great question. I guess that's the... <laughs> to be honest, and it's only something I'm learning the more and more of the campaigns that I look at because although I don't release all that regularly, I'm researching four or five different campaigns at any one time. They're not that successful. And I don't want that to sound like a negative, though, because some of the watchability of a show or the growing of a fan base over time. Take Sarah Connor once again. I use that as an example because it's quite personal to me. Mm -hmm. I think I think that that show, through the actions of the fan campaign, has reached many more people who really love the show than what it did during its broadcast run. And it's because of the continuous action of people trying to save the show has actually kept it in the public eye a little okay. bit. So on balance, they're not that successful. And it's always, I guess, it's hard to know whether a successful campaign like the Chuck campaign really was the deciding factor. It, I mean, I'd like to think it is, mm -hmm. and I don't think it could have hurt. But yeah, I don't really have a great answer for that, but I don't want to sound negative about it because the campaigns themselves are pretty amazing things. And they take a lot of different forms, I've seen. I mean, everything from you know, s simple online petitions where the only thing that you're really investing in it is uh, is maybe uh, first name, last initial, and an email contact just to prove that you're a unique individual uh, to, to people that will petition outside of uh, production studio offices and things of that sort. Um, as I started looking into this myself, I know you devoted a lot more time to seeing uh, some of those, uh, some of those success stories, uh, and the instances where they've actually gotten, whether it be a, a campaign or some other uh, grassroots effort uh, uh, to get the attention of the network, that they've had successes in in at least convincing, 
convincing the execs to to make some sort of concession. And and I wanted to sort of pick your brain a little bit about about what you feel might be the majority minority case of of things like where if the announcement comes down mid-season and maybe the creators have an opportunity to to wrap up their storyline as best they can um you know in 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 knowledge that they may have their their last uh you know single or maybe multiple production blocks yet to go um and and they can somehow truncate the the narrative that they that they had in mind or there may be other instances where they're during a season break and they weren't going to get an opportunity to do anything more but through whatever powers whether it be the power of the fandom or maybe that was a factor along with something else maybe even from the cast i've seen a lot of times the cast join arms um with the fans in in voicing their their desire to see things move forward that they'll get a, a one more episode shot uh, Alyssa, i'm thinking of what we've been recently discussing with sense eight right yes that was that was something that made me very happy and it does feel like that's the one where fans might have made the difference to at least get closure on that one mm-hmm. so josh what have you found as far as um, in those instances where it has, where something, whether it was the the fan campaign or whether that was part of a larger uh, a larger initiative, where something was done, um, what seems to be in the research you've done, more often the case of how it gets to button itself up. Yeah. So, from my research, those two particular types of being on the bubble, whether that's mid-season or between a season, they're not as similar as what I first thought that they would be. And you highlighted one really interesting fact there. The more successful campaigns that I've found and campaigns that seem to sustain are, fan, are campaigns where the actual cast is openly involved and passionate along with the fans. I think of a show like Defiance. Although the campaign didn't really you know, get the outcome anyone wanted, which was another season, the actual cast were very, very supportive of everything that happened. And from my research, that happens more between seasons than during a season. Okay. And whether that's pressure from above on the actual cast themselves to not give the impression that maybe we know our show is struggling or whether it's just they're caught up in the momentum of actually producing in those long days and if they're up in Vancouver and they're starting in the middle of the night, for mm. example, they might not actually have time or the energy. So in my opinion, there's there's a certain amount of cast involvement that has to back the campaign and that makes, I guess, the people that are running it and the fans that are getting behind it understand that it's not just the fan in their bedroom or at home watching by themselves or with someone. It's actually the cast themselves that want this thing that they care about to keep going. Mm. And just out of the, I mean, I've only researched ugh, maybe 30 or 40 shows so far. Okay. And the cast involved or being involved is the most important factor. And also, particularly to keep that fandom going and the campaign going, it's also the cast following up with people, maybe after the show's been cancelled, 
and that seems to keep people interested. Like I think about the 4400, okay. they seem to just re-emerge every once in a while <laughs> and it's normally because of the cast. So, yeah, the being on the bubble during a season, that's about all the people that aren't watching. That's how I look at it. You've already won over a certain number of people and they're already watching. Mm. So as long as the product itself, as in the show quality, doesn't fall through the floor, they're not really the people you need to reach out to and keep on board. So I don't know how that works. That's probably more up to the network, really. Put the show on at a good time and advertise it. Don't put it up against some behemoth that it's clearly going to lose to. And (laughs) yeah, whereas in between seasons, it seems much more, the campaigns seem more focused when it comes between seasons. Okay. And sorry that I don't have a better answer for that, but yeah, I'm just going back going back into my research. Yeah, just off the top yeah. of my head. So, <laughs> and there must be a, a thousand different permutations of the way that the that the uh, that the issues can play themselves through. I would imagine though, that there's there's a new well, I I, I would imagine it, it has to be kind of a, a relatively new trend, or increasingly more so of late, and that has to do with actually taking entire properties and jumping networks. Um, you know, the, the viability of actually moving the entire franchise over. Yeah, that seems to be happening more and more. And I'm not sure yet how successful that is as an idea. It seems to be happening. And when it comes to the actual fan campaigners themselves, that has become more the default position of, well, let's not even bother trying to campaign to the existing network to renew the show. For Mm. instance, uh, the Chuck campaign, they, they basically were trying to petition. I think it was NBC that carried Chuck Mm -hmm. and maybe they also, they might've expanded that to TNT as well. Whereas now the campaigns would probably go straight to Netflix or to another network. Right. So that's a slight difference. And I'm not sure is that really, is that kind of where you were going with that? or Yeah, I mean, I just, I see it as now, uh, I don't even know, I might have at one time considered that to be, you know, if I'm trying to put myself in the mindset of one of these uh, campaign uh, uh, coordinators who's who's trying to, to rally up the fan base to to get behind this and maybe even petitioning the cast to a certain degree to get their support and their and their voice behind it. And they'll say, rather than trying to go back to, NBC, TNT, Fox, whoever it is, they now one of their uh, maybe something much higher on the on the list is to say, you know what, we're not even going to try to to bang on Fox's door because they've already proven themselves to be completely unapproachable. But but Netflix or Hulu are much looser in the purse strings and maybe willing to give a revival or a continuation uh, of a series a shot. I mean they're they're taking things that are long since off the air, long since off the air and bringing them around again to the point where you almost want to call it a uh, well, I wouldn't call it a reboot, but it's something where they're putting the needle back down on the record 5, 10 years or longer later um provided if they can get the storyline to work with a with a cast that has aged and you know obviously that aspect of it but but they're willing to take those chances because they're not beholden to the advertisers the way uh you know a broadcast network would be exactly and within that within that advertising system there's also 
things like rate cards where certain networks at certain times of the week have to have exponentially more numbers to justify having anything on the network at that time. Hmm. So that's something that I've found very confusing is how all the ratings work, but I'm starting to get my head around it. And being <laughs> from another country, the research isn't also that easy to find at times, okay. but there's certain shows like I recently interviewed Michael Sparaga, who's releasing a documentary and basically the documentary is called United We Fan. It's all about fan campaigns. Huh. So, and I think that went to the Hot Dogs Film Festival in Canada. It's going to be a pretty big deal. Interesting. And he said, now, I'm, I think it was Person of Interest, was it got burnt off, essentially. They decided it's not going to get renewed. We're going to burn this off quickly at the end of a season. And I think they were still getting 7 million viewers a week to the broadcast, which is phenomenal hmm. <laughs> for most television shows now. Like that's probably close to the most recent season average for The Walking Dead. Yeah. And they burned it off. But it was because where they had it positioned during the weekly slate meant that it had to be even more than that because of where it actually was on the schedule and what network it was on. Hmm. And that stuff just adds complication because as a fan you hear, 7 million viewers a week or whatever. And that might include all the follow-up on, on demand, etc. But you'd think if it's getting close to the Walking Dead numbers, what have we got to worry about? And it comes down to where the network have put the show as well as the quality of the show itself. It right. makes it a bit more complicated. It's interesting. So it, it, it sounds like in most of these instances, there are more factors that could work against a program than there are ones that can work for a program that is potentially sort of against the ropes in that regard. You know, if you're... Absolutely, if you're, yeah. Yeah, so it, it's not just a matter of viewership. It's a viewership relative to, to where the network needs a, a juggernaut, you know, on a given primetime slot or something like that. So if, yeah. th if that's the case, then... Even though we, we want to hear the success stories, you know, we want to hear, you know, to, to wake up tomorrow and hear that they're, they're bringing Firefly back one more time. They're never bringing Firefly back, but let's, we, we you know, as that. a yeah. point of example, but <laughs> on the flip side of it, have you, have you sort of formulated an opinion on the most effective ways? Cause I know that you've dealt with this with a couple of programs that I know were near and dear to you and. And Alyssa and I have as well, um, you know, with ones even recently, things like, you know, we being big Doctor Who fans with the class spinoff that was given one season and a really bad location and poor marketing and didn't get a chance to make it and such. But the idea, <laughs> have you come up with, with what you feel are some of the most effective strategies of dealing with the loss of a show that you know is just not going to survive? Yeah, okay, it's a... When it comes to the actual campaigns themselves, I guess I'm not sure how if I can put myself into the mind of someone that maybe loves one show and is thinking about supporting or starting a campaign mm -hmm. because I've now got all this background to suggest that there's so many decisions beyond just the pure ratings number and the quality of the show that impact whether a show can come back. I, I think I'd have to truly believe that the show was of such high quality and it was going to go to another network where it may get either a model where it doesn't have to perform in the same way like a Netflix 
or it was going to go to a, another network, which may have lower expectations on the initial broadcast numbers. So that's probably what I'd be looking for if I'm being really analytical about it, about joining a campaign. But the emotional side of losing a show, I'd never really experienced it at all until Sarah Connor, where I felt like there was actually a bit of a hole <laughs> that had left in me for a while. And I don't want it to sound too esoteric because I know that sounds a little woo-woo for the lack of a better term. But that's how it felt to me. I felt like, to me, I'd found my version... Like, I grew up loving Pink Floyd, my favourite band ever. I found my TV show version of Pink Floyd and they broke up in front of me. Mm. <laughs> so I'm not sure if I'm over it yet, to be honest. But... <laughs> <laughs> Fairly yeah. admitted, yeah. So one of the things you t- talk about with these campaigns is how fans are using the data that they find about viewership, and sometimes that helps them make their case, but sometimes uh, it what leads to them misunderstanding the factors. Uh, you know, you talk about, well, if it matches The Walking Dead's numbers, then it must be good, but it doesn't really reflect what the show needs to be doing to perform well in its particular time slot. Do you think that having access to this data is helpful for fan campaigns, or do you think sometimes it gives people a, a poor sense of what actually needs to be done to save the show? Yeah, that, that's pretty, that's intriguing because when I initially started researching campaigns for the show, my default position is the more data, the better on most things. And I thought, well, if they know that as a fan or a campaigner, they can speak the language of the executives more clearly. Ratings equal dollars, etc. But the thing that, that the ratings don't really expose or allow you to see into is the egos involved in cancelling a show and then being the same person that agrees to bring it back. Now, that's the one thing I've discovered. I mean, I know that doesn't answer your question specifically, but it's what I've been thinking about during this conversation. The more I research these shows, the thing that seems to be most effective, and not a lot of fan campaigners seem to get this right, is... The understanding that at the end of the day, that decision to cancel or renew is made by a human being who can't, unless they're omnipotent, they can't tell the future or dictate the future. And they're kind of victims of the past. So whether it's pressure from their boss's boss or whatever, or they just make a really bad decision, the human element is something the fan campaigners don't talk to. For example, I'll give you a concrete example. I recently did the most uh, Marvel's Most Wanted, which was a pilot that got filmed for a spin-off of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And the final decision got made by one of the executives at ABC, who initially said the script was really good. And then the rumor is underfunded the pilot's production. And it turned out, basically it turned out not to be very good. So for that person to then backflip, after a fan campaign where thousands or tens of thousands of people are basically calling them an idiot and <laughs> questioning their actual character and their ability to perform their job, that doesn't seem very likely to me mm-hmm. because you're essentially admitting in your role that I don't know what I'm doing. I, I admit it. <laughs> and I just can't see that happening. Whereas <laughs> there's great campaigns like the one for Grimm, which 
Grimm was kind of an outlier because it performed really well on a Friday night. And it kind of held that spot. But that fan campaign spoke more so to the types of pressures that an executive is under from the people above them. So board members, the CEO. They are talking about the wage benefits of Oregon, for example. The language of executives, but without making them seem like they're idiots. That, to me, is what I'm seeing in the fan campaigns that work, is an understanding of the human element. And I'm, I'm not on the side of the executives by any means, so hopefully it doesn't sound like that. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's, yeah, that's, it's easier to flatter people into re- renewing a show than insult them into doing it. It seems to be, yeah. That's the, I mean, it sounds silly, but the the campaigns where fans are just... And I know it happened with the Sarah Connor campaign. I think because it was Fox and they had a history of cancelling, you know, beautiful things. <laughs> They've just had it. They were known for it. I, they just got attacked viciously. I mean, I don't know how a human being is meant to take that and, you know, do what they, the fans are asking for because right. it's kind of a, yeah, a hit against your ego a little bit. So, yeah, be polite, I would say, to the fans. Okay. So for those of you taking your notes at this point, a couple of things that you can that you can add to your repertoire here is uh, make sure that you get the, the cast as vocally involved as possible because I have to imagine that there's a certain feedback loop to that. You know, the cast yeah, that, says, it's, says... Yeah, it's an amplifier for the whole thing. Like that, mm-hmm. That's what takes it to, you know, broad public awareness within the community is when the fan starts... To, oh, sorry, the cast starts to push it. Yep. Mm. And of course, uh, when, when when referring to the networks or the network executives, uh, flattery will will get you farther. So at least just be kind. <laughs> so yeah. appeal to Absolutely. their good natures. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess uh, in in a couple of minutes that we have left with you, I know uh, uh, with the with the time shift here, uh, we're, we're at a premium. So let's just say, and I'll ask the both of you. So if you if you want to limit yourselves to three, and it's difficult to to do this because I know I tried just as I was thinking of this, and and I stopped at about a dozen. If you had to say the the three programs that you would like to see given one more breath of life, whether whether it be just a, a something that d- didn't make it for just this 2018 season, something that's been off the air for a couple of years, or something that's been gone for ages, Alyssa, what would you say were your three? My three, okay. Um, well, I think Firefly is obvious. Um, it just had such a short uh, gasp that mm. it really deserved more. We are getting closure for Sensate, but I would have loved to see uh, a full season more rather than just uh, a few hours special. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is going to sound very weird, but hang in with me for a moment. I would like to see another season of or two of classic Doctor Who. Yes, I know we got it back and it's not off the air, but yeah. I would love to have seen uh, Sylvester McCoy's tenure as the Doctor go on for another year or two. They have some interesting things that they were getting at. Uh, they were beginning to pick back up and do a lot better quality episodes. Uh, so I would have loved to have seen uh, a few years of that. The Dark Doctor agenda. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. And Josh, what about yourself? Well, clearly, Sarah Connor would be number one just because it's my favorite show. Uh-huh. And my, my other favorite show ever is Firefly. I think Firefly is going to be the show I'm still watching when I'm 50. So <laughs> those two. Right. And number three, 
might be slightly obscure. It's probably not a massive show, and it's probably not a critically acclaimed show either. But it's Legend of the Legend of the Seeker. I recall Legend of the Seeker. Yeah, yeah. Legend of the Seeker was heading was heading in a direction which would have played really well with modern fantasy audiences on platforms like Netflix, where they can do movie length, double episodes, etc., mm. without upsetting the broadcast. That's a show that I think had a lot of potential and never really got there. And one thing about Legend of the Seeker was it was one of the first shows that was filmed in, you know, movie scale HD. So whether you like the acting or the story or the writing, the actual look of the show was completely modern. So if people were to watch one and season one and two and then jump to a new season three, ten years later, mm. the actual look of the show wouldn't seem like, you know, it wouldn't be off-putting. Like sometimes you watch point. old shows and you can tell they're old shows. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Interesting. I hadn't even Yeah, so that. Legend of the Seeker. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I had mentioned class. That's just one that I, I thought had, had given itself the opportunity to tee itself up and start to create a, a, a tangential um, a bubble universe uh, off of the, the, the Doctor Who spectrum that, that could have been very interesting. It could have been explored in some very interesting directions under under Patrick Ness's tutelage, but um, but so be it. I, I don't think we're ever going to see anything more to that. Um, Galavant was something that I considered near and dear. I'm glad I at least have uh, other shows that have decided to take up the modern musical format, like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and things like that, but Galavant just, just ticked all the right boxes for me as far as a, a comedy series. Uh, so I would have loved to see that go a little further, and I think the cast would have as well. Um, but then my deeper cut would probably be HBO's Carnival, which ran two seasons and ended on a cliffhanger that literally changed the entire storyline in 15 seconds and then yeah. <laughs> cut to black and that's it. So yeah, it's on my list actually to do that one. So. <laughs> yeah yeah well i think that's probably the painful thing is i've started into a number of series and people have said well you do know that this this got cut short uh, dark matter was another one people said you know just just be aware you know it made it so far and then they pulled the plug on it but you still want to watch it because the story they told up until that point was fantastic just just know that it's coming and it still <laughs> hits you on the side of the head you get to that last episode so i guess you never learn your lesson it's funny about cliffhangers because I just watched a show recently called The Pinkertons. For some reason, I'm on this Canadian Canadian TV trip at the moment. I'm not sure why. <laughs> and the show itself, I was fascinated with the history of the actual story that it's based on, the Pink- Pinkertons t- detective agency. I thought, ah, there's a show about it. I'll check it out. I didn't actually like the show much, but there's this massive cliffhanger at the end. And now I really, really wanted a season two of a show I didn't even like all that much. <laughs> That's how they get you. Yeah. There's a lot of power in the cliffhanger. <laughs> well, fantastic. Well, yeah. thank you so much for, for enlightening uh, us a little bit on, on some of the complexities that have gone along uh, with, the, with these programs that you've researched. And if people want to, to hear a little bit more about what you've been able to, to pull together and the things you've found, how do they, how do they know more about this, uh, about the On The Bubble podcast? Well, you can go to onthebubblepodcast.com. That'll take you to my website where it's all housed. Or if you happen to be on gunnageek.com, which I'm happy to be a member of, if you happen to be on the website, uh, if you look under TV shows, there'll be a new episode either every week or every second week, depending on how big they are. 
<laughs> and how much editing and everything goes into it and research, <laughs> etc. So some of the shorter episodes are only a few minutes and then they go up to 10 to 15 minutes if it's a more involved campaign. And yeah, if you want to know more about me, I mean, you can go to Twitter at Joshua C. Liston, but probably goodreads.com slash Joshua C. Liston is the best way to get a read on me. I've been Excellent. called creatively and politically Martian by a lot of people who know me best. So <laughs> that's probably the best place to get a read on me. So goodreads.com. Yeah, Joshua C. Liston on there. Fantastic. Well, again, thank you so much for uh, for spending some time chatting with us. We, we really appreciate the time. Yes, thank yeah, you thanks very so much. much. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks. I really, really like the show you're making. It's probably my favorite new show I've discovered on the network because I've been going through listening to them. Yeah, it's just a really interesting idea that you guys have. And I think it's important because I think a lot of people write TV off as just something you do for entertainment when it can actually mean a lot more than that. So <laughs> we, we know too many people that are in, in the general. industry to think otherwise. <laughs> yeah, just fandom in general is something special, regardless what it is. So thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> absolutely absolutely we'll have to do it again very soon we'll take care josh thank yeah. you you too thanks yeah so um when we rally again for uh for episode 48 we'll be discussing people that that uh instead of taking their uh their geek fanaticism towards uh film or television or books or comics or uh or cosplay or conventions or anything of that sort hey why not the gym or why not the track you know people that actually uh get uh, fanatically attached to their personal fitness and all of the data and gear involved with it. So that's what we'll tackle the next time around. I'll and I'll be recording it from my boxing studio. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah, you got to tell me more about that. That sounds really cool. I know a lot of people who do kickboxing and stuff, but and, and that, but not so straight up boxing. So I'll, I'll let you know when my back stops hurting. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Whee. All right. Well, um, that's... That that'll be, we'll give you we'll give you some uh, some period to rest up. You know what? Um, alternating twenty minutes hot packs, cold packs, twenty minutes rest. So twenty cold, twenty hot, twenty rest. I'm what? working on it. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you all as always for joining us for episode forty seven of In Defense of. Until next time, remember that fandoms are nothing without fans, and personal interests are always valid because they interest you. You can find resources mentioned in this episode as well as previous episodes over at our website, indefensecast.com, where you can also share your comments and questions and feedback on this or anything else that we talk about here on IDO. Facebook users can connect with us over at facebook.com slash indefensecast. Tweets can be sent to us at indefensecast. And good old-fashioned email can be sent to us at idopodcast at gmail.com. Now, the opinions expressed are those of the host and guests and do not represent other podcasts or affiliates of the Gunna Geek Network. The audio contents of this cast, along with all theme music, are the property of In Defense Of and may not be distributed without prior authorization by its producers. Now get out there, kids. Stay positive. Stay positive.